Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what we can learn from the model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples, what we colloquially call the Lord's Prayer. And we've been looking at it in the context of the fact that it was never intended that we should just recite it parrot fashion. But there are truths in there on how we should go about praying. And we've looked through it phrase by phrase. And uh, last week we looked at give us our daily bread. I can't just ask, has anyone over the past week prayed about some of the things that we talked about last week and seen an answer to prayer? That's good already. Does anyone want to share anything? (laughs) This week we we come to the next phrase in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I I think it is at the heart of the whole thing and possibly the most important part of the prayer because it deals with an issue that we all find quite difficult that of forgiveness it says forgive us our debts as we also forget our debtors now some translations particularly older ones will use the phrase trespasses instead of debts so what's the difference Because I think there is a difference, and I think it's important that we just understand that. A debt is something that you owe. In terms of sin, it really implies an act of omission. Something that you should have done but didn't. Okay, Something that you owe. Whereas a trespass is when you actually violate a law. It's when you stray where you shouldn't do, when you go over a boundary, step outside of where you should be. And that is really a sin of commission. And I think actually the Lord's Prayer is meant to cover both. Because actually both our sins of omission and commission are still sin. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever committed a sin of omission? Not done something you should have done? There's a few hands going up, that's good. How many of you have committed a sin of commission? Okay, well, what it means is that this applies to all of us. Is that a fair comment? Right. Even as Christians, we all commit sins and therefore from time to time need forgiveness. Now, I don't think Jesus put this phrase in the prayer to make us feel guilty. When you look at his teaching generally, that isn't the way he went about things. Going through motivating people by guilt. And that certainly isn't God's way. He motivates us by grace. 
But rather, I think it's an invitation for us to come to him every day to enjoy the cleansing power of Jesus and the transforming power of his blood. And when you look at that phrase, it comes in two parts. And we're going to look at them separately. It first of all says, forgive us. It talks about us being forgiven. And then it goes on to say, as we forgive others. So it talks as well about us forgiving others. So let's look at our needs. We've admitted that even as Christians we sin, and so we need to ask God to forgive us. That's the simple truth. But if you notice, Jesus didn't start the Lord's Prayer with this aspect. He didn't say, our Father who art in heaven, forgive us. He started by getting us to focus on God and on his kingdom. And then, when we were in the right place and at the right time, in the presence of God, when we'd hallowed and brought praise to his name, when we'd come before him and brought the issues that we needed to bring before him in our own lives, then he brings up the issue of forgiveness. Now, to do this properly, we need to reveal our sin. And we can only do that if we're aware of it ourselves. Now, sometimes when we sin, I think we're acutely aware of it. Sometimes I do something, and I'm acutely aware of it. It's almost as if you've banged your thumb with a hammer. You think, ah, why did I do that? Other times, I think we sin And we're blissfully ignorant of the fact. We might have hurt someone. We might have just done something wrong without even knowing it. Now, the word sin is an old-fashioned word. But we need to understand it. Because it carries a lot of depth to it. It was in common usage in the Middle Ages particularly on Sunday mornings. Not because of church, but because of what happened just before church. When people gathered for archery practice on the common land before going to church on a Sunday morning, the term sin was shouted wide. It was the term that was used when an arrow fell short of the target. So there you'd have your guys, archery practice, putting back their bows, firing their arrows. And a little man at the other end, when one fell short, would shout out, Sin! Just to let you know that it hadn't even got to the target. That's what sin is. It's falling short of the target. And it doesn't matter why we fall short. It doesn't matter whether we did it deliberately and shot an arrow into the ground or whether actually it was just an accident. We read in Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, we all need to repent. Now, You don't have to wait until you pray the Lord's Prayer to repent, though. 
You can repent any time you wish. There and then, as soon as you become aware of sin in your life. But I still think that if you're praying through this prayer and you get to that point where it starts to talk about forgiveness, it is an opportunity to just reflect and bring before God the areas that are causing problems in your life. It's a time when you can say to him, show me the things that I've been unaware of, where I am hurting others, where I am doing wrong. Because our God is omniscient. It's a big word, and it means he knows everything. And do you know what that means? Sometimes he knows more about us than we do ourselves. So when we have sinned, even if we are not aware of it, he will have known. So it's a time when we can ask God to shine his light in our life and show us the areas that are causing problem. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit which lives in us is upset about our sin. It uses the word grieved. So ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you have fallen short of the target. There's a prayer in Psalm 139. It starts in verse 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me. In the way everlasting. Do you know what? If you're brave enough to pray that prayer, search me, O God. If there's any offensive way in me, tell me. Do you know what? God will answer it. He will show you. He will shine his light in your life and he will show you the areas that need adjustment. Now there are times we come before him and we might pray that and we don't feel him pointing anything out. Now we don't have to go on a witch hunt. We don't have to invent something to ask for his forgiveness for. We just need to say, thank you God that you are at work in my life and you are making me more like Christ. Thank you that I know and I can have confidence in the fact that you will show me things as they need dealing with in my life. Hi Mark. Because he will. He will show us. But what we have to remember is when God reveals our sin to us, he does it in a particular way. He does it not to condemn us, but to bring conviction. What's the difference? Condemnation, conviction. Condemnation leaves you with a general sense of, it makes you feel weighed down. It makes you feel unworthy. It makes you feel bad about who you are. And the reason for that is it is the work of the enemy. It is our own guilt and the work of the enemy attacking who we are. And that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. And conviction is specific. 
It brings a sense of faith and it brings a way out. Condemnation says you are a terrible person. Conviction says you've sinned. You need to repent and bring that to God. Respond to conviction. Don't be condemned. In Romans 8 it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. God reveals things to us for a reason. He doesn't do it to make us feel bad about ourselves. He does it so that we can bring it to God, ask for his forgiveness and restore our relationship. Now, we need to ask God to show us our sin. But equally, we need to come to him and confess it. In 1 John 1, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a wonderful promise. It doesn't say he might do it in there. It says, if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and purify us. That word confess, it literally means to say the same as. What that means in practice is, when the Holy Spirit says to you, that that you did yesterday that wasn't good, that's wrong that's sin we've got to say yeah, I agree it was sinful so I bring it to you God and I just repent of that repent, it means admit it and quit it Yeah. say you know it's wrong and then stop doing it Look again at that promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's going to be faithful. He's going to forgive us. He's going to then purify us from unrighteousness if we confess them. What's that purification process is? What does it mean? It means you're less likely to do the same thing again. So God's saying, if you admit it, if you quit it, I will forgive you, I will cleanse you. You don't have to wait for years. He does it there and then. He takes all memory of that sin from himself and removes it. And then he starts to break the power that that sin has had in your life as he cleanses you and purifies you. And so just like I think most of us here anyway take a bath or a shower from time to time, when we think our body needs it, okay, we need to deal with sin in our life in the same way. And as we need it, we need to cleanse our spiritual life by confession and receiving forgiveness. Now as we do that, the enemy will try and attack you. He will try and attack you with condemnation. He will try and make you feel bad about the fact that you've done this or done that. But remember that passage in Romans 8. 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have got to receive God's forgiveness and righteousness, not the enemy's condemnation. So that's why we need forgiveness. But then we move on to the second part of this phrase. And it talks about us needing to forgive others. Now, the way it's worded, it says, forgive us as we forgive others. It, it seems to imply that we need to forgive others to the measure that we want to be forgiven. In fact, in this passage in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, and then in verse 14, it's like he wants to re-emphasize something. And this is the bit that he re-emphasizes. In verse 14 it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, out of everything that he went through in the Lord's Prayer, this is the bit he felt he needed to underline and re-emphasize at the end. It wasn't about God's holy name. It wasn't about looking for the coming kingdom. It wasn't about our daily needs. It wasn't even about the fact that we can be forgiven. But it was about the importance of forgiving others. And when I read it, it seemed to me it was like he was saying, if there's one thing I really want you to get to grips with here, it's this. Forgive other people, because if you don't, it will prevent the flow of God's forgiveness in your life. And the rest of your prayers will be a waste of time. Because unforgiveness is the biggest block to the power of God flowing in our lives today. So God wants us to develop a forgiving attitude. Are you holding on to unforgiveness? Sometimes when Moena and I have been praying with people, we, we've had them say things, oh, if you just knew what they'd done to me, you'd understand. I just can't forgive them. Let me tell you, that is rubbish. Forgiveness is a decision. It is not an emotional response. We have to decide to forgive people. And if we make that decision, in time, our emotions come into line. Now, there are times when we suffer a great deal of pain because of what people do to us, whether it's physical or emotional. And sometimes, in those situations, having decided to forgive people, we feel the pain again. And because of the pain, we feel the bitterness or the anxiety that comes with it. And we have to forgive them time and time and time again. Every time it hurts, every time the memory comes back. But as we do that, gradually our emotions come into line with the decision we've made and healing follows. Do you know, 
it is amazing how difficult people seem to find it to say these three simple words. I forgive you. Now, I was watching something I'd recorded yesterday on the TV. It was an audience with Al Murray, and he was making great play on the three words, I love you, and how they are wonderful words in English, but in German and other languages don't sound the same. And that's because we're all meant to be speaking English. But these three words are even more important. I forgive you. And sometimes when you're trying to help someone and you say you need to forgive them, why don't you pray that now? They will do anything they can to avoid saying those three simple words. Lord, I really want to forgive them. Well, if you want to, do it. Lord, will you help me forgive them? He will. Lord, forgive them for. Well, he perhaps already has, but you still need to forgive them. Okay? Are you prepared to take the responsibility for that and do it? And say those three simple words. I forgive them. No ifs, no buts. Now, this was a big issue even in the time Jesus was around. Because if you look, it comes up again in Matthew 18. He deals with how we need to be a forgiving people. It says in verse 21, then Jesus, sorry, I'll start that again. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. When, Jesus, uh, when Peter asked seven times, he was showing off a bit. He was trying to be clever. There was rabbinic teaching of the time that said that you needed to forgive people three times for something. And if they ran out of chances, that was it. Literally, three strikes and you're out. And he thought he was being clever. He knew that seven was a number that represented completeness or perfection. And so he said, well, perhaps we should do seven. But Jesus said, it's not enough. It's not enough. Even seven isn't enough. And depending on the reading of a translation, he says either 77 times or 70 times 7. But whatever translation you take, Jesus wasn't saying keep a count. When you get to 77 or 490, that's it. What he was emphasizing was that we need to demonstrate continual forgiveness to people. It needs to be unending. Just the same as God displays towards us. There's no limit to the grace of God. So we need to be careful not to impose limits on the amount of forgiveness we receive from him by not giving it to other people. We need to demonstrate true forgiveness. Jesus went on to tell a parable. 
starts in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. Now that's quite a sizable debt. 10,000 talents is probably a million pound or more in today's language. And it goes on saying, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. How do you think he felt? How do you think he'd felt about being let off that easily? How would you feel today if having a mortgage, the bank came to you and said, don't worry about paying that anymore. We'll let you off that debt. Because that is the sort of sum, and it would be a large mortgage, that we're talking about here. But it continues. Then the servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. So we see it now. He grabs this man by the throat. Okay. And this man actually says exactly the same as he just said. Nothing any different. He kneels down and pleads for mercy. But it continues in verse 30. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And notice here, it doesn't say he couldn't let him off the debt. It says he refused. And we're talking now about a hundred denarii. A hundred days' pay. £10,000, maybe, compared with the million. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. They went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called his servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I have cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he'd owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So the parable ends. The guy who owes a hundred days' wages is in prison. And the guy who owes the millions is being tortured. 
What does it teach us? Does it teach us that God wants to torture us or to bind us up? No. The reason he was in prison being tortured was because of his own decision not to forgive. It teaches us that if we don't forgive others, we can expect worse treatment ourselves. And we need to understand that. We often present a picture of an incredibly merciful God. And he is. But God expects those who receive his mercy to be merciful to others. We need to learn how to forgive other people. Now if we let our minds dwell more on how much God has forgiven us, it does make the whole thing a lot easier. Okay, the second servant in that parable, it wasn't a small amount he owed, a third of his annual salary. But compare that debt with what the other guy owed. They reckon it is 600,000 times larger. God doesn't ask us to trivialise or minimise the effect of people's sin on us. He doesn't expect us to ignore the fact that it hurts, it causes suffering and loss. But what he does want us to do is recognise it is nothing in comparison with the suffering and the pain we cause him through our sin and disobedience. So how do we go about it? How do we forgive others? I think the first is, remember the debt of your own sin. Now don't get into condemnation about this, but just be reminded of God's greatness of his mercy towards us. And rejoice in it. Rejoice in God's mercy. Rejoice that he has freed you from the effects of your own actions. And then you've got to release other people. The king said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The starting point is recognising how much you've been forgiven. Now those of you who are here regularly, do you remember a Sunday? Milk came to church with a suitcase. (laughs) Do you remember that? And he carried it around all morning until he got up to preach. Well, he carried it up when he got up to preach. For those who weren't here, he was preaching. He was preaching on forgiveness then. And uh, nobody had thought to ask him why he was carrying this suitcase around. And as he got up to preach, he just momentarily said, oh, I've forgotten something. Went out the door, came back in, still had the suitcase in his hand, put it down at his feet. And five minutes into his preach, he just said, I can't do this. I can't carry on. I've, I've got to just sort something out. I've had an argument this morning with one of my daughters and it's really, it's holding me captive and it's bound to be affecting her as well. And he unzipped the suitcase and out came his daughter. I think it must have been like a sauna in there by then. But uh, are we carrying around a suitcase full of people that we have not set free? 
Because if so, you need to do it. And you need to do it now. Because in the same process, you will find you are carrying a much lighter load. If that suitcase had really had his daughter in it all morning, his arm would have been aching. God doesn't want us to carry around with us unforgiveness. It weighs us down and it pollutes our spiritual life. If you ever have that feeling that something that happened to you years ago has ruined your life, the truth of it is, if you don't deal with it now, it will probably ruin the rest of your life as well. Bring forgiveness. Unforgiveness is like a cancer. It grows, it eats away at you, it causes bitterness and resentment and hatred to grow in your life. It can affect your emotional well-being and it can affect your physical well-being too. Be merciful. Bring forgiveness quickly. There's some good news. It's nice to have some good news, isn't it? The good news, we can actually be on the front foot about this. We can go into each new day ready to receive each new offence against us as it happens in a positive way. By praying, as I go in today, no matter what anyone says to me or does to me, I'm going to love and forgive them. You are preparing your whole attitude from the start of the day for the day ahead. It will help you respond quickly and rightly as each new offence comes. Jesus said we should love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. How about praying that? Lord, as I go into today, I want to love my enemies. As people come and attack me, I want to bring love to them. If people bring persecution to me, Lord, I want to be a blessing to them. Would anyone notice the change in you if you did that? At home or at work? Proverbs 4, it says in verse 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Do you want life flowing from you? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The message for Ephesians 4.32 says, Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Sometimes we're tempted to just hold on for a little while. Make that person squirm or suffer. We'll say, yeah, I'll forgive you, but I'm not ready yet. We need to forgive completely. Not lightly or superficially, but we need to be quick to demonstrate our forgiveness. Father, forgive us our debts 
as we forgive others their debts to us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 